So I want to see if you remember these three commandments. Who can tell me the first commandment? Have no other gods. Have no other gods. Say this after me. You shall have no other gods before me. Good. Second command. Who knows that one? No idols. Good. Repeat after me. You shall not make for yourself an idol. Excellent. And number three. Who knows this one? Do not take the name of the Lord in vain. We've been dealing with this for the past couple of weeks. Repeat it after me. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. Rick, this whole repeating thing is getting repetitive. Amen. <laughs> no, don't repeat that. Aaron goes, Rick, this whole repeating thing is... Oh, sorry. Cheryl was in Taco Bell this last week. I met her down there. She called up and said, I'm getting a burrito. And I said, I'll be right there. And so I jumped in the car and jammed down there. Well, on my way down there, she was sitting there waiting for the food. And she noticed uh, an encounter between two old friends who apparently hadn't seen each other in a while. And this just cracked me up. She was laughing about it as I came in. The one guy came up to the other guy, and, and they're saying, Hey, man, it's been a long time. I haven't seen you in a while. And, and the second guy, who was older than the first guy, said, Yeah, yeah, how long have you been out of prison? <laughs> and everybody in talk about goes... <laughs> and the first guy, the younger guy, was totally taken aback because he hadn't been in prison. And, and he just he kind of went... Uh, and he said, and I quote... I haven't done anything wrong in my entire life. And so everybody went back to their tacos. And Cheryl shared that. And we laughed about it. And I thought, how interesting. This guy got freaked out because he got pinned down to being in prison. And he never had been there. And so he says, I've never done anything wrong in my entire life. And I think apparently he has never read the Ten Commandments. Because as you well know by now, three commandments in, we're not doing real well. As one man said, after studying the first three of the, of the commandments, an older man in a Midwest church, he made the comment to the pastor. He said, you know, pastor, I'm, I'm listening to these commands and uh, I'm over for three right now. And he said, and I read ahead and I'm thinking right now, I, at best I'm going to be like one for nine when it's all said and done. And then later that afternoon on a Sunday, he called the pastor and said, no, pastor, it's over for ten. <laughs> These commands are convicting, are they not? They're hard. I, I have been amazed in the last three weeks of us studying this, there has not yet been a, a series of studies that we have done that has stirred it up as much as these have. I've had more conversations, more comments from people. I had a great conversation with my father-in-law who came in last week, about halfway through the week, I'm studying, I'm just typing away, and he comes in and goes, I just have a question about the, the last... Uh, the last deal there, what you were talking about. And yeah, what, what is it, Dad? And he said, well, is holy moly okay? <laughs> All right. We get this from him all the time. And I'm thinking, holy moly, why? Do you have one? Is that holy? Anyway, I got an email from Kathy Pittis. No, no, it was a phone call, wasn't it? She called up and wanted to know, how about the Christian shirt, a breadcrumb and fish? Is that all right? You know, because it's the takeoff on Abercrombie and Fitch, and you know about Abercrombie. And, and she was joking around and stuff. But you know what's interesting is that you're taking this seriously. There are discussions going on about this beyond Sunday morning, and I love that. And the Lord loves that. 
That we're in conversation about His Word. That we're questioning and, and struggling and trying to figure out and wanting to do so. Why? Because we truly in our heart of hearts want to please the Father. Don't we? That's a good thing. But the law is heavy. The Ten Commandments are a heavy thing. And yes, we're under grace as Christians. And yes, we are saved by the blood of Jesus and not by keeping any laws. But still, as we go back and seek to be holy before the Father, to please Him, to honor Him with our life, we discover that it's a hard road to hoe. It is a difficult road to travel. It's not an easy thing. Romans chapter 3, verse 19 says, Now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law so that every mouth may be closed. And all the world may become accountable to God. Accountable. Paul goes on and he says, Romans 3.20, Because by the works of the law no flesh will be justified in his sight. For through the law comes the knowledge of sin. And so actually part of what we're doing here in studying through the Ten Commandments is coming to a full knowledge of the sin in our lives. And that's never easy. And I understand that in my life. It's not always pleasant. But it is for a purpose. Because until we become fully aware of the sin in our lives, we will never fully know our need for Jesus. Until we are in touch with the fact that we are fallen sinful people, as Stephen shared, murderers everyone, liars, thieves, cheats, until we recognize that is at the heart of the nature of man, we're always going to think there's something we can do. There's a step that I can take instead of Jesus doing it for me. I don't really need, I need him like 98%. Folks, God wants us to know and understand and feel and and think through this process that we need him not 100%, 150%. We could not exist without him and certainly we can never find salvation without him. But as we study... I want to encourage you again to keep John, the beloved apostle's words, tucked away in your heart. 1 John chapter 5, verse 3, he says, This is the love of God, that we keep His commandments, and His commandments are not burdensome. They may bring the weight of conviction, but they are not burdensome. And they're not burdensome for one reason. And I wasn't going to tell you this, but I've got to tell you this. The Ten Commandments, as given, were covered with mercy. Now, I was kidding around with, with those here, the students on, on Wednesday nights were studying, and, and I said, I'm going to tell you guys something here tonight that everybody on Sunday morning is going to have to wait like several weeks for. I can't wait. I've got to tell you. The Ark of the Covenant. Think about this. This box made of acacia wood covered over in gold is a piece of furniture in and of itself. There is a second separate piece of furniture that the Lord commanded be made in Exodus 25. It's called... The mercy seat. Now, if you've seen Indiana Jones, and in in which one? The first one, Raiders of the Lost Ark. You've seen Hollywood's representation. Most people look at that entire box and go, oh, that's the Ark of the Covenant. No, that's the Ark of the Covenant and the mercy seat. The mercy seat was on top of the Ark of the Covenant. What went inside the Ark of the Covenant? The law. The Ten Commandments. The tablets of stone were inside the Ark of the Covenant covered by mercy. Covered by mercy. 
Exodus chapter 25, 21. You shall put the mercy seat on top of the ark. And in the ark you shall put the testimony which I will give you. In other words, the commandment sat in the ark under the covering of mercy. And as we study through the rest of these Ten Commandments, and there are going to be some tough things to hear. This morning there's a passage I don't even want to go to, but we're going to have to. But I, I want to beg you to remember... It's all under the covering of mercy. Let's pray one more time and we'll get into our study. Father, Holy Spirit, we've asked that you teach and guide us. Lord, it's ironic that this week be a busy week for me. As we come to the fourth commandment, which speaks of the opposite. And Lord, I I need you to, to take over here and to speak your word. And to clarify some difficult things for us as we study this morning. So please do so, Father. As we study on in Jesus' name. Amen. Exodus chapter 20, verse 8. Exodus 20, verse 8. God says to Moses, Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. The seventh day is a Sabbath of the Lord your God. In it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male or your female servant or your cattle or your sojourner who stays with you. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. The Sabbath day. Remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. This is a day of incredible importance and significance, not just for Jewish people, but for Christians today. It has both immediate and eternal application to our lives. It's a day of great distinction, a day of strengthening conviction, and a day of blessed liberation. And there are your three points for an outline as we study. That is, distinction, conviction, and liberation. We're going to use those kind of as headings as we move through and seek to understand this. But as we do so, I want to be sure we have a clear understanding of what the word Sabbath really means. God is actually is asking us to remember this day, this Sabbath. What does that mean? A quick hint, it's not Saturday. Sabbath does not translate Saturday, nor does Sabbath translate Seventh Day. There are whole denominations bent on the keeping of the Sabbath, particularly on Saturday, proclaiming that Sunday worship is actually the result of paganism. You may have heard this. They trace it all the way back to around 312 to 314 A.D. with a man named Constantine, who was emperor of Rome. Constantine, who was the one who blended the church that had gone through 283 years of severe persecution. Constantine, in A.D. 312... Proclaimed the um, Edict of Toleration And in the Edict of Toleration He said no more persecuting Christians As a matter of fact We're going to elevate Christianity To the, to the church The state church That's going to be the deal Everybody's going to be Christian now And the Christians shouted Hooray And I think at that point God went <laughs> Because Constantine took the church and, and blended in paganism With the church 
And we could spend a whole series just talking about Christmas and Easter and all the things and how Constantine drew this in and how the pagan symbols on the coins on one side, the cross on the other side, Babylonian mysticism, symbols of, of paganism. And he just kind of mixed them all. About the fact that, that the priests, the high priests who were pagan priests in, in Rome at the time, Constantine said, hey, you don't have to stop being priests, just be Christian priests now. And they're like, okay, cool. And they got to keep the funny hats and everything. <laughs> He blended the two. And so there are people who say that's when it happened because Constantine proclaimed worship will be on Sunday and the Sabbath is on Sunday and it has pagan roots and therefore it's not right. Well, that's not really right. You're going to have to go back further than Constantine to place the blame on who it was that started Sunday worship for Christians. A man named Tertullian, writing 150 years before Constantine. He was an early church father. Generation right after the Apostle John. And in around 150 or so, he said the following. He said, Sunday, the first day of the week, is the only day in which Holy Communion must be celebrated. Now, I disagree with him. Jesus said, as often as you take it, remember me. I think you can take it a whole lot more often than one day a week. However, inherent in the statement that Tertullian made was the existence at that time of Sunday worship. That's what the church was doing, first day of the week. They were worshiping. And Tertullian said, that's the time and the only time when we must take communion. And whether you agree or disagree with that, as I said, I disagree. He still said, it's Sunday. That's the day. That day we gather for worship. Well, you might need to go back a bit further, actually, even than that, to see where this whole Sunday worship thing came from. And in Acts chapter 20, verse 7, it tells us, On the first day of the week, when we were gathered together to break bread, Paul began talking to them, intending to leave the next day, and he prolonged his message until midnight. And you're saying, please, Pastor, don't do that. You know what's funny about that story? Total side note has nothing to do with what we're talking about this morning. But if you read on in Acts chapter 20... Paul keeps preaching and preaching and preaching and preaching. I mean, this guy was going on. Actually, it was going off all day long. He just wasn't stopping. He's in the water. And they're all totally into it except one kid named Eutychus. Eutychus, who sat in the window listening, and around midnight got real drowsy and fell out of the window and died. That's in your Bibles. Go look it up. What happened? He was resurrected. Paul went down, and this guy died listening to the word, but Paul went down and resurrected him and brought him back up. And you know what Paul did then? <laughs> he preached until the next morning. <laughs> so if you think I go long, we'll just leave that with you. The point is this, gang. The idea of Sabbath is much bigger than keeping a certain day with calendar precision in hopes that it will make you holy. And there are many churches, even denominations, who do this today. If you don't keep Sunday as your Sabbath day, then you are out of God's favor. Since when did keeping a day place me in the favor of God? I thought it was the blood of Christ. And it is. However, we still have to deal with this command that has incredible significance and importance to us. Remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. Flip in your Bibles, if you will, over to Mark chapter 2. We're going to jump around quite a bit this morning. Some different passages. Mark chapter 2 and verse 23. Mark 
We had Jesus take on the Sabbath. Here we go. And it happened that he was passing through the grain fields on the Sabbath, and his disciples began to make their way along while picking the heads of grain. The Pharisees were saying to him, Look, why are they doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath? You see, God just said, Remember the Sabbath day, keep it holy. The Pharisees, Jewish people after that, took all kinds of measures with that and came up with all kinds of ways that they could keep it holy. Adding law upon law upon law. Even to the point where you couldn't pick grain on the Sabbath. And they were just hungry. They were just walking through grabbing grain and gnawing on it and chewing on it and eating it. And Pharisees said, it's not lawful what they're doing on the Sabbath. And he said to them, Jesus said, have you never read what, read what David did when he was in need? And he and his companions became hungry? How he entered the house of God in the time of Abiathar, the high priest, and ate the consecrated bread, which is not lawful for anyone to eat except the priests. And he also gave it to those who were with them. Right now, the Pharisees are about as stumped as we are. What are you saying, Jesus? Jesus goes on and says, The Sabbath was made for man. Not man for the Sabbath. Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. You were not created for the purpose of keeping the Sabbath. Sabbath was created for the purpose of helping you and having impact in your life. And Jesus then says, So the Son of Man is Lord, even of the Sabbath. In other words, Jesus is saying to the Pharisees, Don't get your tassels in a twist. Listen to me. You're keeping the day, but you're completely missing the message. And that's what sin does in our lives. Sin drives us to want to keep law while we miss the principle behind the law. Sin will turn rest into rigor. Sin will wrap redemption into requirements and it's the direct result of what happened to Adam and Eve and their sin in the garden. You see, Adam, back in Genesis chapter 2, is walking with the Lord and it's a beautiful scene and his relationship with God, his fellowship, was wonderful. And God gave Adam a job. He had a role in the garden. He didn't sit around naked and look at animals walking by. He did things. He cared for the garden. And Genesis 2.15 tells us the Lord God took the man and put him into the garden of Eden to cultivate it and to keep it. He was a gardener. And yet the work he did was a pleasure. It was a joy. It was wonderful. It was part of his relationship with God. He'd be working on the fruit trees and talking to the Lord. And, and the, that's, by the way, we'll talk more about this next week, I think. God wants to get us back to the garden. He wants to return us to that relationship that he had with man before the fall. That walking and, and talking and sharing and being with, that's God's heart. Well, that was what it was like until sin crept in. And Genesis 3.17, after the sin, after the fall of man, God said these words. Listen closely. He said, Cursed is the ground because of you. In toil you will eat of it all the days of your life. Both thorns and thistles it shall grow for you, and you will eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you will eat bread. Till you return to the ground, because from it you are taken. For you are dust, and to dust you shall return. And this is what sin does. Don't miss this. Before the fall, man kept the work. After the fall, the work kept the man. And it's been doing so ever since. The work grabs a hold of us. The, the, the labor is hard and constant. Adam had this beautiful, wonderful thing, this pleasure, this, this fellowship with God. He cultivated, he nurtured the garden, and the work was a joy. But after the fact, no matter what man would do, it would never be enough. 
We can work and work and work and there's still more work to do. We can never quite finish the task, never quite get to the end of the honeydew list. In our offices, in our jobs, gentlemen, ladies, we can never quite finish. There's always something in the inbox. It is never enough. And for everything that you do in your life, whether it's work-related or not, you always have a sense that there's something more that needs to be accomplished to the day we die. It's never enough. Because the work is keeping the man. Instead of the man keeping the garden, keeping the work. And God said, Adam, for every thorn, or for every piece of fruit, there be a thorn. For every flower, there be a thistle. And the work will be there waiting every morning as you wake up. Every hour off, every vacation, you know, it's back there. It's waiting for me to get back and deal with things. It's always there. How long is your list? Does it seem that the work keeps you? If so, listen very closely to this piece of grace. Before man even had a chance to sin and invite work and toil and labor and sweat into the world, God had already set aside the principle of the Sabbath. Before the sin happened. In Genesis chapter 2, verse 2, By the seventh day God completed His work which he had, he had done, and He rested on the seventh day from all His work which He had done. And then God blessed the seventh day and sanctified it, because in it He rested from all His work which God had created and made. God was wiped out. I mean, six days of labor. That was hard work for God. And when it was all done, He was just, he was just beat. No. He's God. He could, have, he could have gone 150, 200, 300. He's still going. God does not tire. The Bible tells us He never rests. He never slumbers. Well, we're tanked out, tired, wiped out. He's, he's taking care. He's still working in His pleasure. But the fourth commandment, gang, is so vitally important that God wove it into the very fabric of created time. And keeping the Sabbath is not commanded just because God rested on the seventh day. No, it's the opposite. God rested on the seventh day because the principle of the Sabbath would be vitally important for every and all generation of man. So three things to consider regarding the Sabbath. Distinction, conviction, and liberation. Number one, it is a day of distinction. God makes it clear throughout Scripture that the Sabbath day is a day like no other. Remember the Sabbath day. He says it so clearly a child can understand it, but for some reason when we come to the fourth commandment, we think that it's optional. Even more so than the third commandment. I mean, we struggle with the third commandment. Even when we get kind of used to taking the name of the Lord in vain or hearing it a lot, we still from time to time go, you know, we really shouldn't do that. You know. But when it comes to Sabbath day, most people will approach it and go, it's a big deal. God just wants me to relax. Okay, cool, I'll relax. But right now I've got all kinds of energy. Why would I need to stop what I'm doing right now? I'm, I'm feeling good. I'm energetic. Some might be tempted to take the... The command to remember the Sabbath day, kind of like the McDonald's jingle from the, from the 70s. I think it was McDonald's. It's the one that said, you deserve a break today. So get up and get away to McDonald's. Was it McDonald's? Yeah. We do it all for you. Really? <laughs> what, kill me? Harden my arteries? Clog up my heart? That's what you're doing for me? Thanks a lot. I really appreciate that. You deserve a break today. And so we come to the Sabbath and go, oh, that's nice. <laughs> it's not the Ten Commandments. It's the Tender Commandments. And, and he's saying... You deserve a break. And we miss it. We miss it completely. These are not the ten suggestions. They are not the ten instructions or even the ten healthy habits for successful people. They are the ten commandments. 
They are the Ten Commandments. And we are on number four. And God says, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. This is my command to you. Not just a good idea. Now I hate to have to go here, but I want you to see how serious God is. Flip over to Numbers chapter 15. Numbers chapter 15 and verse 32. Numbers 15.32 Now, while the sons of Israel were in the wilderness, they found a man gathering wood on the Sabbath day. Oh, oh, he's gathering wood. Okay, This will be my attitude. Oh, he's gathering wood. Hey, knock that off. He's not, not supposed to do that. Read on. Those who found him gathering wood brought him to Moses and Aaron and to all the congregation. And my human heart says, oh, those jerks. Tattletales? <laughs> That's terrible. Leave the man alone. It's just a few pieces of wood. Verse 34, And they put him in custody because it had not been declared what should be done to him. And then the Lord said to Moses, The man shall surely be put to death. All the congregation shall stone him with stones outside the camp. So all the congregation brought him outside the camp and stoned him to death with stones just as the Lord had commanded Moses. It's one of those moments in the church where you really don't want the outsiders there. (laughs) You don't want people to see what's really going on. Stone him? Are you serious, Lord? Absolutely serious. You take this man outside of the camp and you stone him to death. It's just the Sabbath, God. And it was just a few pieces of wood. You want to stone anybody? Stone the tattletales. We don't need that. Stone him. Kill him. God is deadly serious about his commands. Now, this made me really uncomfortable to read this. I had to study it over and over and over and go, <laughs> I mean, I understand murder. You shall not murder. You murder someone, we'll take him out and stone him. Yeah, life for life. I can deal with that. That sounds fair. But a guy was picking up wood on the Sabbath? Come on. What do I do with this? A couple things we need to understand. First of all, understand, and this is interesting, Moses put the man in custody until the Lord told him what to do. This was not the action or the decision of the people of Israel, and it wasn't the decision of Moses. But I love the example, and it's just a side note here, of how a man deals with the tough things in his world, in his life, is he sets it aside, puts it in custody, and goes to the Lord and says, what do we do now? How do we handle this? How do we deal with this particular situation? It was the right move on the part of Moses. This was God's call, and it was God's decision. And had Moses not waited, and had they just killed the guy, we'd be reading it going, Moses and the people of Israel did wrong here. That's wrong. They said, that's not good. But that's not what happened. We have to deal with the fact that God proclaimed this man's death for picking up wood on the Sabbath. Well, here's the other thing to understand. And this is why Bible study in context is so important. If you take this story and don't look anywhere around it all by itself, you just you go, how can this be? Go back and look at verse 30. Verse 30 tells us, God is speaking, but the person who does anything defiantly, whether he he is a native or an alien, that one is blaspheming the Lord. And that person shall be cut off from among his people because he has despised the word of the Lord and has broken his commandment. That person shall be completely cut off. His guilt will be on him. And then we hear the story of Sabbath breaking. What's the point? Moses places this story in a very particular situation. 
It is the example of defiance. And here's something to know. God knows the heart of man. We don't. We have no idea what this guy was thinking when he was picking up, picking up those pieces of wood. But God knows what was happening there was much deeper than a man grabbing wood on the Sabbath. It was the attitude of the heart. It's why he was doing it. It was an act of defiance. Everyone else is taking the Sabbath off. Whatever. I'm picking up wood. I got work to do, Lord. And I don't need you telling me how to work my day. I'm not tired. I'm not taking your Sabbath. I'm going to do my job. God knew his heart. And whether you agree with the punishment or not, we can't possibly know what God knew. But this was an act of defiance. Are we going to defiantly say with the fourth commandment that we know better than the Lord? Romans 9.20 Who are you, O man, to answer back to God? The thing molded will not say to the molder, Why did you make me like this? Will it? And my friends, the way in which we approach the principle of Sabbath directly reflects on the honor or the dishonor with which we approach the Lord. When he says, I want you to take a day in seven. I want you to cut off all of the things and just rest in me. I want that time together. But we go charging through life nonstop, pell-mell, tumble-bumble, like the pokey little puppy. We never quit. God says, I thought we had an appointment. I was hoping to get together this week. I guess it's going to be next week. When you're all through with your silly busyness. When we discount this command as archaic, as inappropriate for our day, we take relevance and we elevate it over reverence. And we dishonor God. When we defy the idea of Sabbath saying, I worship God with my whole life. Every day is a day of worship. And therefore, I don't set aside a particular day to be with, to be before the Lord. We are elevating our wisdom over God's wisdom. The uh, late professor of Westminster Theological Seminary, a man by the name of John Murray, said the following, and I quote, To obliterate the difference between one day and the other six may appear pious, but it is piosity, not piety. It is not piety to be wiser than God. It is impiety of the darkest hue. The Sabbath day is different from every other day. And to obliterate this distinction is to destroy what is the essence of the institution. And what is that? What is the essence of the institution? Why did God say, remember this day? Why is it so important? It's obviously, as we've seen Jesus say, it's not about the day. It's not about some legalistic calendar keeping. But the principle is critically important. Why? Psalm 23 tells us, the Lord is my shepherd. Yahweh, Rohi. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. Do you realize that's emphatic in the language? He makes me. It's literally, He lays me down. Because honestly, I'm not going to do it. Not, not today. i got a little too much going on to lie down, so I'm not going to lie down. And the Lord goes, well, you're going to lay down then. I'm going to make you lie down in green pastures. Why, Lord? Why would you do this? I'm going to lead you beside the still waters. Why? I don't understand. To restore my soul. He guides me in the paths of righteousness for His name's 
sake. God commands the keeping of a Sabbath as a day of distinction, a time set apart only to Him so that He can work about the restoration of our souls and our relationship with Him. How do I keep the Sabbath? Are you saying that you know every Saturday we need to get up in the morning and not do a thing until I go to bed? Or every Sunday? Do I have, is that what you're saying? Listen, I'm working through this, by the way, as we talk about. This one caught me completely off guard. The first three were easy. You know, They're all about honoring the Lord. They're all about lifting up and praising God and, and, and making God distinct and, and focusing on Him, caring about Him. This one just is out of the blue. Remember the Sabbath day. I, why? How do I do this? Peter said in 1 Peter 1.14 As obedient children, do not be conformed to the former lusts which were yours in your ignorance. But like the Holy One who called you, be holy yourselves in all your behavior because it is written, you shall be holy for I am holy. I don't know how to be holy. And God says that's right. So stop. And be at peace long enough so that you and I can talk about these things. What is the longest that you have spent in prayer recently? What's the most extended amount of time any of us have have spent in the Word recently? Anybody gotten up in the morning, 7 o'clock, taken their Bible and disappeared for the day and come back 12 hours later recently? There's no time for that. And we wonder why we struggle with holiness. Holiness, by the way, when God says, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Holiness simply means set apart for the purpose of sanctification. And I really do wonder, I'm asking myself, struggling with this, what would it be like if we actually took one day out of seven and did that? What would that be like? You're not asking us to, are you, Rick? Hey, I'm asking you to deal with this yourselves. I am. What is God calling us to do? What if we took a day that was distinguished for the purpose of reading or studying or meditating on His Word, praying in the Spirit, worshiping in the fellowship of other believers? Psalm chapter 4, verse 2. David wrote, How long will you love what is worthless and aim at deception? But we know that the Lord has set apart the godly man for Himself. God has set us apart... Is it too much to ask that we set apart time to accept and embrace His invitation to sanctification? David asked a tough question. How long are you going to love what's worthless? How long are you going to aim at deception? I mean, does that describe our culture, our world, or what? Aiming at the worthless? We run. We spin the plates. We hurry and worry. And we think we, we do this because we think by doing so we can somehow gain control over life. If I work harder, I can better control my finances. If I'm, if I'm harder at it, I can, I can get more of a... You know, I get taken care of in my job. I've got to work. I've got to take care. I don't have time to worry about all this stuff. And so we drive and drive and drive. But it's all worthless deception because, gang, listen, only one person has control over your life and it's not you. One person. Yahweh Jireh, the Lord our provider. Yahweh Rapha, the Lord our healer. Yahweh Shalom, the Lord our peace. He's the one who's got control and not you and not me. And by the way, not your boss. And not your husband, ladies. And not your wives, men. Oh, it may seem like they've got control at times, but they don't. And certainly not you or me. 
The principle of Sabbath is a call to sanctification. Exodus 31 verse 13. God says, You shall surely observe my Sabbath, for this is a sign between me and you throughout your generations, that you may know that I am the Lord who sanctifies you, Yahweh Makadashem, the Lord our sanctifier. That's what God wants. That's why the day is set apart. That we might be sanctified. That we might draw closer to Him. Understand Him more. Be more connected with Him who is worth everything as opposed to all these worthless deceptions that we get caught up in. And in our culture, in our country, it's hard just to get up and go to church for an hour and a half. And God says, how about a day? How about you and I get away for a day? It is a day of distinction. But it's possibly the most violated command. It's the one we most casually walk away from than any other because we lack conviction of these commandments. And that's our second point. It's a day of conviction. A day of conviction. In 1981, Chariots of Fire swept the Academy Awards and no one really knew why. And you may have known. A handful of believers may have known. But there was something about that movie that just captured the world's attention. And swept the awards is about Eric Little, missionary, turned runner, who, who went to the 1924 Olympic Games. Remember the story? Little, who got on the boat and he's heading off to go to the Olympics to run for his country, for Scotland, for kingdom, for country. And he's excited and someone throws out the comment as he's walking up the game plane, Hey, what are you going to do about your, uh, your, how do you think you'll do on the heat on Sunday? And he turns and says, Sunday? And his friend and confidant kind of helps him on up the game plane and he's going, What? Sunday? For little, Sunday was his Sabbath, a day that he would not violate. And so he was riddled with a difficult decision. His entire country behind him. What would you do in that situation? Your whole, all of your people behind you saying, Run, Eric, run, Eric, run. And he's going, I can't. I can't. It's, it's, it's on the Sabbath day. And you and I would say, oh, It's just a race. Don't worry about it. It's just, you know, one day. Take your Sabbath on Monday this week. Not a big deal. And there's that scene in the movie, you may recall, where the British royalty and the Olympic Committee, they're all sitting around and they bring Eric Little in and they sit him down. And one of the guys says, with all the pomposity you can imagine, says, come on, Little. For the sake of king and country, put aside these silly ideas of yours about the Sabbath and the Lord's Day. And you see him just grit his teeth. Little does. Like he's going to come out of his chair and he says... I would never set aside my king or my country. Save there was a higher power, a higher authority, the one who sets up kings and the one who brings down kings, and I will not run. I will not run. I will not violate the honor owed to my God. Deep in the heart of man, we ache for something in which to place that kind of conviction. But Little's conviction, don't miss this, it did not rest in the legalistic customary keeping of a day different than other days. It wasn't about the day. It was about his God. It rested in the honor that he brought to God by keeping that day. The reverence he showed his father by setting aside all other things to focus on him on that day. He brought honor to the Lord, placing the Lord above all other things in his life, even his passion for sports. Athletes, listen to that. 
Even his passion to run, which for Eric Little was his favorite thing to do in all the world, next to being with the Father. John the Baptist understood this. As Jesus came on the scene and his ministry began to attract followers away from John, John's disciples were distressed. And they came to him and said, Hey, the people who are here listening to your teachings and being around you, they're starting to follow Jesus now. In fact, he's baptizing more people than we are. What are we going to do? And John said, and I love this, every believer should have this in your head, He must increase and I must decrease. That's the opposite of our mentality. We are about lives of increase. Whether it's increasing money or increasing the way we look before people or increasing our status. And John the Baptist said, no, the time has come. He is here now. He is Lord. I must decrease. He must increase. And then he said these words, He who comes from heaven is above all. He who is of the earth and from the earth and speaks from the earth. He's above all of that. He who comes from heaven is above all. And the Sabbath command raises a question for us. Is God above all? Is God the highest authority, the highest person in your life? Higher than even your desire to get it done. Sabbath, my friends, is not just rest from labor. It is rest to the Lord. It's rest to Him. So is that what the word Sabbath means? I never did tell you what the definition was. Is that what the word means? Rest? Sabbath means rest? No, it doesn't mean rest. And it doesn't mean Saturday, as I said. It doesn't mean seventh day. That's not what the word means. Well, what does it mean? Back in 1996, we were cruising. Cheryl and I and our two kids at the time. Life was getting busy. And we were juggling things and checking schedules all the time just to make it happen. Cheryl was in grad school and I was working as a youth pastor at a happening church. And it was on fire. Our lives were just so, we were so dialed in to the future and what was going to happen. And of course, as the, as the, you know, the, the man of the house, I'm thinking, we're going to have a second income. This is going to be great. No idea of what was to come. And I imagine in heaven at that time, there was a moment where God looked down and said... They're going to spin out of control. They're going to destroy their family. They're going to destroy their marriage. And they have no idea. And so God went, let's make Cheryl pregnant. Let's bring another child into the mix. And everything stopped in our life. Cheryl had to stop graduate school. She's got half a degree in social work, if anyone's looking for that. All of my vacation plans, history. The big checks that were going to come in from two sources now gone. It all stopped, ceased, desist. Same thing happened this last week. Cheryl was back to school. I think God doesn't want her to learn. I'm not sure. She's not pregnant. She's not pregnant. Almost. The same. Okay. Have your laugh. Go ahead. I was freaking out. How many were? How many of you are thinking that's what I was talking about? She was pregnant. That's great. I mean, I, because it's so impossible. <laughs> I didn't even think of that. And by the way, next time I, I'll let you know when I need your help, okay? 
happened last week songs the pregnancy everything came to a grinding halt Cheryl came in and she said can I share this? don't look at her because she hates that Cheryl came in and she said we have to talk about something and it's, and it's pretty, pretty serious I'd like to talk to you this afternoon so all day long I'm thinking in my head about a million different things that it could be not even dialed in clued in no idea that this is what she was going to say we sat down and she said I don't think I'm supposed to work I think I'm supposed to be at home and as the spiritual man that I am I bowed my head and lifted my hands and prayed no I screamed what you've got to be kidding me have you seen the size of that house I'm a pastor how do you think that's going to work no way we've got to have all of our plans don't you realize we made the loan based on the fact three years from now you're going to work and I was going off for about half an hour or so Cheryl's just you know and she kept saying something over and over and I really hate when she uses my own words against me she kept saying do you really believe what you keep telling everybody about the fact that Christ's return is imminent and do you really believe that it's God who's in control of everything and can we just pray about this no I don't want to pray because if I pray God will change my mind and that will mess everything up The Lord said stop. Cease and desist. As a matter of fact, you want to know what the Hebrew word Sabbath really means? It's Shabbat and it means intermission. We need an intermission. We need an intermission. It's like going to the long movie and halfway through you're just going, shouldn't have had the coke. <laughs> we have a break coming up here pretty quick. And God says, I want you to stop. And it was so important to him that he said, one day out of seven, one day out of seven, just stop. Knock off your drive for success. Stop it. Cut it out. And you know what's funny? We all know this. When we do take a day or a week, when we do get away to where the cell phone can't reach us and the the busyness of life is set aside for a moment, we love it and we're refreshed and it's wonderful and we come back and jump right into the same thing again. So God said, here's a plan for you. Here's a command for you. Take a day in seven and stop. It's a day of distinction. It's a day of conviction where I can work on your heart and draw you closer to me. It's also a day of liberation, and we don't even have time to talk about that this morning. We'll talk about that next week. Let's pray together. As your heads are bowed, just listen for a moment. I got an email from a dear friend a couple of weeks back at just the right time that said, in essence, since when is life in charge? Since when is life in control? Lord, we need to hear this. And this is perhaps the hardest of the first four commandments that we've had to deal with because it applies directly to how we're living our lives and the pace that we have chosen and the way we run because we think that you are not capable of caring for our needs. 
our drive and our desire to achieve. And it's worthless and it's a deception and we repent. Father, Father, we want to spend time with you. We talk about it all the time. We all know it's important, but it's more than important. It's, it's a relationship. How could a marriage, Lord, survive if the couple spent no time together? They were just too busy for each other. And, and Father, there are couples in this church who are too busy for each other right now. And I pray that you will break in the middle of their marriage. And if it, if it means pregnancy, to make it happen. If anything, Lord, that you need to do to draw marriages together in this place that are so captured by the deception and worthlessness of the world, would you do that? And draw our relationships back together, Father, in peace. Allow us to take full days of resting in you. Because of all the relationships we have, Lord, yours is the most important. It's the one that matters. It's the one we desire. It's the one we seek. And while I know you are coming, Jesus, and we look so forward to that, to an eternity of just being in your presence, you're calling us to it right now. Lord, we need to be with you. And I fear for myself, my family, and my family here at the bridge that many of us are just missing you. And there's a simple answer that we just remember the Sabbath. We remember our intermission. We remember to stop. And keep time holy with you. Father, forgive us. And Father, I pray that you will place a weight, a yoke, Father, on our shoulders of reminder to spend time with you. Knowing, Lord, that your yoke is easy and your burden is light, Lord Jesus, would you strap us in that we might find our rest in you. Yahweh, Shalom.